Hey there, welcome to LSAT Demon Daily. I'm Eric Johansson. That's Nathan Fox, the founder of LSATdemon.com and the weekly podcast, Thinking LSAT. We got an email here from Anonymous who took our advice and withdrew from the January LSAT because they recognized, uh, well, they're 15 points under their goal score and it just wasn't going to happen in January. Yeah, yeah. Congratulations on withdrawing from that January test. As we record this, we're in February now and the February test is rolling around and there will also be an April test and a June test and several tests this fall and eight more tests next year. So, you know, withdrawing is always a good idea if you're not ready. Uh, You know, if the test is approaching and you know you're not ready, which 15 points equals you're not ready. And uh, just very safe to say, okay, let me shoot for the next one instead. Anyway, Anonymous says, I'm now at a turning point. Do I find work while studying for the purpose of resume building or do I strictly focus on LSAT and give myself a break? Maybe travel, work at a good pace with your program. I guess it boils down to this. Do admissions want to know that you have want to know what you have been doing in your gap year? In my situation, would it make more sense to take uh, taking some time off to really hone my LSAT score and get it to the 170s? I'm genuinely confused since people say gap years are great to build your resume, yet I feel confident with my previous work experience as a sergeant in the Marines. Clearly, I need the gap year for strictly studying the LSAT and to get that 15 to 20 point increase for a 170 with the appropriate time. And I don't know how this would be feasible with me looking for work that would boost my resume. Any advice on this matter would be much appreciated. What do you think? Um, well, first question, do admissions want to know what you've been doing in your gap year? I think the answer is yes, but not a whole lot. I mean, they want to know how much is is it going to be a determining factor on your application? Probably not that much. So I wouldn't think of this. I, I just don't think the decision to travel or to get a job or to get a particular type of job should be dependent on how it's going to look on your law school application. Right. It just seems like it's a much like that's a bigger decision. What you choose to do with your time and your life over the next year, make it more than just law school admissions. That seems small. Right. And if you are going to make it law school admissions only, then just go ahead and make it LSAT only. Yeah. It, like the LSAT is the wrecking ball. That's the thing that's just going to blow the doors open at whatever schools you're looking at. And um, these resume items, sure, they can be a feather in your cap when you and someone else with equivalent LSAT and GPA are being compared to one another, which will happen. You know, there's going to be some school where you're on the bubble your LSAT, your GPA are right in there and you're on the on the edge to get in or you're on the edge to get that scholarship you want or whatever it is. And at that point, everything might matter. But that's only going to happen at one school that you're on the bubble on. Meanwhile, there's 14 other schools where you're not on the bubble at all. You're either your numbers make you a shoe in or your numbers make you a unlikely unless unless your resume is like really amazing, which, you know, getting some job here that's going to just look good as a resume bullet is not the kind of thing that's going to make up for a 15 point LSAT gap or a 10 point LSAT gap or a five point LSAT gap. 
I mean, I, I think it could make up a one point LSAT gap maybe, but it, really the LSAT is the thing that matters. I think anonymous absolutely should go get relevant work experience to whatever you think you want to do, start building your career. But this isn't for the law school admissions folk who are going to glance at your resume and they're going to see that line item and just, you know, in passing, because they're, they're yeah. not evaluating your application all day. <laughs> they're evaluating no. your application and 500 other applications and they're skimming through these documents. But what kind of lawyer do you want to be? Are you sure? Have you ever worked in that field before? Do you have any contacts in that field? Have you made any progress working toward this goal? Because any law firm hires paralegals and various assistants and support staff of all different stripes. And you should be able to get yourself in to, you know, the, the type of firm you want to work in or something adjacent to that, where you can at least learn about the practice area and the culture of that practice area and figure out whether this is the kind of thing that you actually want to do. Yep. That's why to do it. If you've yep. never done anything and you've never, you know, I mean, Sergeant as in the Marines, that's great. But if you've never done anything that you think is law related, well then maybe you should so that you can figure out whether this is a good or bad idea yeah. to continue pursuing this career. Yeah. I'll refer you to, uh, a podcast, uh, with, that I recorded with LSAT Demon team member Braden, his success story, cool, which will come out either before or shortly after this podcast does. <laughs> okay, and he talks about getting work experience at a public defender's office, and I think he's been there like two years. And he says that was one of the pieces of advice that he gave to current students was get some work experience in a public defender or in some sort of legal office, and it was nothing to do with boosting the resume. That was not at all why he said that. He just said, it has been so crucial for me learning what legal practice is like, making connections with actual lawyers, yeah. clarifying the kind of law that I want to do. Yeah. Yeah. And boy, I, the public defender's office seems like such a great place to do it because they're going to yeah. be understaffed and there's a lot of important work that needs to be done there. And, you know, there's just unlimited opportunities to do real stuff to help people if you can find the right internship or job in the in the pd's office mm -hmm. uh we know that the um you know the the working hours are not crazy so it's the kind of thing that you can do part-time or full-time but have it be an actual reasonable full-time where you don't you're not constantly working overtime and um on call and all that stuff I don't think that anonymous should be studying for the LSAT full time. We never advise people to study for the LSAT full time. I just think that after hour four or five, there, you know, nothing's going in anymore. So I do think that I like this idea of getting some kind of a law related job, but just make sure it's not going to be the kind of thing that's going to expand so that you can't find your one to two high quality hours every day for LSAT prep. If you just do your one to two hours every day for LSAT prep, I think you can pat yourself on the back and move on and do other stuff with your life. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that's optimal actually for maintaining good mental health through what can be a very long LSAT process. We're always preaching that most people need to take it at least twice, frequently three or four or even five times to get their very best record, uh, very best score on record 
which means that, you know, if you're going to take it five times, that's at least half a year because the test is only offered eight times a year. So this could stretch to cover a good portion of the calendar. And having a job at the same time is a good idea. I don't care at all, though, about your resume. You just shouldn't be thinking yeah. about the admissions folk. The, the thing that admissions folk are going to be primarily interested in, your undergraduate GPA, which is probably already set, and your uh, LSAT, which is not at all. And that's the thing that you really should be focusing on. If I can throw one more thing in there, yeah. I think that everyone should maybe flip their mindset and start thinking of themselves as the one that law schools are going after. Yeah. Like it's not that it's not that you're going after the law schools, but it's that the law schools are going after you. I, I watched Oppenheimer last night. Have you seen oh, cool. that? Yeah. Good movie. There are multiple points in the movie where someone comes to Oppenheimer with the most prestigious possible job opportunity. Like, here, lead the Manhattan Project, or here, lead this like top science position in the country. And his response is, "Well, I haven't decided whether I want that job yet." Right. When it's when it's at first, it's them saying, "Well, we're just reaching out to see if you might be the right person for this role." And Oppenheimer yeah. just flips it around. And he's like, "Well, I haven't decided whether I want your job yet." Yeah. Yeah, it's powerful to, to it, it, it makes you the one in charge. It, it shifts the balance of power. And I think you got to treat this whole admissions process the same way. I, I totally agree. I think that putting yourself in the driver's seat, that's a, that's a big difference between how, um, you know, typical novices come to us, uh, brand new listeners come to us and, and their plan is like, well, I'm trying to make it in by the May deadline for this school and I want to, I'm going to take the LSAT one time and I'm going to apply to one school and I'm going to hope that I get in. Mm -hmm. And you need to flip that to more of an abundance mentality and a more, you know, you're the one that's going to be choosing. Yeah. The way that you become the chooser is you get the best undergrad grades you can, you get the best LSAT you can, you apply broadly, preferably early in the cycle. So we're going to apply in the fall to 10, 15, 20 schools. It's not outrageous when people apply to 25 or 30 schools. It's a lot of work, but it's not insane because then you just give yourself opportunities to receive offers. And those offers are going to be not only admission, but also scholarship money. And so instead of thinking about like, well, are these admissions folks going to worry that I didn't do anything during my gap year? It's like, no, get the right LSAT and apply broadly and then just let them fight over you. And if there is some school that thinks, ooh, I don't know about this guy because he didn't do anything during his gap year. Well, there's going to be five other schools that are going to be like, wow, look at that 170s LSAT. We need this guy. Yeah. Also. Schools do really like military folk, I think, for good reason. In our experience, military folk just have a great work ethic and they're used to taking orders. They're used to being the kind of worker bees that, that law schools really love. Law firms really love worker bees. They see that sergeant in the Marines and they're like, oh, this guy knows how to bust his ass. You know, and then 
with the right LSAT, oh, wow. Okay. So it's someone who is smart and hardworking and knows how to bust their ass. And then what good really is that internship at a law firm or whatever? It's not for them. It's for you though. It's because then you get to decide, you know, you'll figure out whether this is actually the thing you want to do or not. Yep. All right. Email daily at lsatdemon.com if you'd like to ask us a question or share some LSAT or law school admissions news. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 